We had two certainties in life. We have death and taxes. We've introduced the third certainty, 21 million Bitcoin. Hello there from Bedford, the Bitcoin mecca of the world. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got Gary V back on the show. I'm not sure if you heard my previous interview with him, but I've brought in some reinforcements this time. I've got the amazing Robert Breedlove in with me to talk about Bitcoin with Gary. But before we get into this amazing interview, I do have a message from my show sponsors. And first up today, we're going to get into security. We're talking about Casa, who are the very best in Bitcoin security. Someone who I have been a customer of for eight months now. Honestly, so much peace of mind. I've protected myself from the idiotic, stupid things I am capable of, but I'm also protected from hackers, in-person mistakes, device failure, and so much more. So if you're having it with this bull run and making some good gains with your Bitcoin, you probably need to get your security sorted. And with Casa, they've got a product for every Bitcoiner. So with Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet, and that is only going to cost you $10 a month. With Casa Platinum, you get their 3 of 5 multi-sig, and that is the best protection for large Bitcoin holders, also comes at a great price. And with Casa Diamond, you get their full service offering. This includes a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best-in-class insecurity. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, I've got my good friends, sportsbet.io, the best place for online gaming. They are the best because they accept Bitcoin. Love them. Now, I've got to know the team quite well. I've been over to Estonia to see them, but I love what they're doing to promote Bitcoin around the world. They are the front of shirt sponsor for Southampton Football Club in the Premier League, and also they are the betting partner for Arsenal. So if you're watching Premier League football and you see a Bitcoin logo, it's probably down to sportsbet.io. And listen, look, with sportsbet.io, you have every market you could possibly be interested in. They've got football, tennis, American sports, motorsports. They've even got esports. Every sport you could possibly think is there. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. Just head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions to find out more. And that is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Okay, and my newest sponsor, Exodus Wallet. Have you checked them out yet? I am now using both their mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. I'm increasingly running my business using Bitcoin. I have bills to pay. I get paid in Bitcoin. At the end of each month, I needed a solution for this. And with most of my Bitcoin in deep cold storage with Casa locked away in my castle with a moat protected by alligators, I needed something for the day-to-day use. And when Exodus reached out to me, I checked out their products. and I was like, you know what? This is pretty cool. They've absolutely crushed the UX, so I'm using them now. If you want to check them out, head over to exodus.io or Google Exodus or just search for Exodus in the Apple or Google app stores. Okay, so on to the show, and Gary V is back, and this time we are joined by my man, Robert Breedlove. So Gary was on the show a few weeks ago. It was a very interesting conversation, but I myself wasn't fully prepared for the line of questioning with regard to the state, but I did want to cover that again. Gary agreed to come back on, but I knew I needed reinforcements, so I asked my good friend Robert Breedlove if he would join me on the show, and it was great. He did. We had questions about how the state reacts to hyper-Bitcoinization, which, you know, I didn't answer 
a while last time, but Breedlove got stuck in, and I think him and Gary vibed really well. Robert has been on the show a few times, and we are also recording something coming up very soon, which is very exciting. But his explanation of the road to hyper-Bitcoinization is brilliant, and he was definitely the man for the job. I know you're going to love this show, and I think it worked really well having him with Gary. I think it's very cool, actually, to get someone like Gary on with someone like Breedlove of the two different worlds and match them together I think it makes for a fascinating conversation anyway if you've got any questions about the show you know you can reach out to me it's hello at whatbitcoindid.com also got a really cool show coming out on Defiance this Thursday looking at how people are considering where they're going to live the kind of regulatory arbitrage around your geographic location so that's very interesting lots of cool guests there anyway have a great week and I will see you all on Friday Gary good to see you again man how are you I'm well, Peter. How are you? I'm good, man. Good to see you again, Breed Love. You well, my man? I'm doing well, Peter. Well, listen, last time we spoke, Gary, Bitcoin was at about $17,000, $18,000, been on a tear. Everyone's talking about it. And you and I had a long conversation about one specific subject, which I wasn't really prepared for. I didn't have good arguments for. Uh, so I've asked Robert to join us. He's a he's an excellent speaker on Bitcoin. He's actually the last uh, last couple of days, he's been talking to Elon Musk on live on Twitter for everyone to see. He engages people. So I thought he'd be a good person to join us. I want to go back to the point we were talking about last time where your concern, I'll let you explain it, but you expressed concern about Bitcoin. If it gets to say $200,000, what the response from the state might be. That was your biggest concern. But do you want to articulate that again? Sure. I, I would even change the word from concern. I think, you know, hello to the audience again. And Robert, great to see you. Um, you know. As I've been pretty consistent, especially to your point, it has been on a tear and I feel, you know, I've had so many people ask me things. I've been trying to put out a little bit more for my community and, you know, whether it's the New York Jets or wine or how communications work with human beings, I have this incredible level of conviction and confidence because I have, you know, 30, 40 years of reps, it feels, in my body and I love speaking about it. I would would argue, Peter, that I don't think... um, I wasn't looking for rebuttals or I wasn't even speaking about concern. I think in general, when I speak, I'm so high energy and like so passionate that, you know, from my perspective, it was more of the question, right? I'm thrilled that, you know, Robert's here or others that can speak to it. This is not a place that I feel like I've given enough of my personal thinking to, nor have I been in the hundreds of hours or thousands of hours of consumption and conversations that gives me stability in my feet when I speak to. I think what, you know, when I think back to our last interview, I think it's fascinating. You know, I genuinely think it's fascinating. And and not only has Bitcoin gone from 17 to 37 or whatever we sit with today, but the other thing that's happened um, during that in-between period is that, you know, the Amazons and the Facebooks and the Apples of the world have pretty much for all extensive purposes, shut down Parler, a social network in America, right? And I think Mm -hmm. it bleeds a little bit into my, uh, you know, let there be no confusion. I don't know how, you know, I've been been quite busy and I'm always looking on Twitter, but, you know, this is not a category where I feel like I'm a put the flag in the ground guy and say this, you know, to me, it's more I'm genuinely curious what happens if Germany puts a trillion dollars of its liquid into, you know, a currency and tries to do Estonia 15.0. I'm genuinely curious if, you know, about the concept of money 
gold, Bitcoin, you know, money being such a powerful part of the human experience that if, it, it, whether it's 200,000 or 37,000 or 9 billion, like all this is is trust, brand, transactions, humans, and sovereign states fascinate me, right? And then, and then, you know, if you think about decentralization or like human to human, there's all these incredible aspects of it. There's just also human self-interest, right? And so if you think about the pipes, you know, like so much of what happens with currency, you know, there's, there's the internet world, right? We don't have a secondary internet. So you have real life, you have the internet, you know, there's gonna eventually be a VR ecosystem that'll be fascinating, but to me, the people that control the pipes, you know, of like, of society, like there's so much intuitively that I feel happens if money gets disrupted that it fascinates me. It fascinates yeah. me and I think that's where I, to me, Russia, I mean, China, you know, what, you know, um, it's a very basic, it's not like I'm so deeply educated in Chinese geopolitical, it's that China has obnoxious ambition. And so, you know, I just say to myself, what a, you know, and again, an early indicator, you know, years ago, I remember the headlines, YouTube gentlemen know way better than I do, how the Chinese government got involved at some point. Like, I just get genuinely curious about um, this hitting macro, macro scale. Well, listen, you're an important voice. You're very well known. Like, I've done 300 episodes, right? My son, my son, right? He's 16. He doesn't give a shit. When he saw that I did an interview with Gary Vee, it was like, oh, I'm going to listen to that one. Like, you've got an important voice. There's people who care about what you say. You're known. You know, you did, you did a video once where you were talking about, um, like, motivation. And that's one that my son really loves. So I think uh, it's good to good to have Robert with us today to talk about this stuff and, you know, answer any questions you may have. Uh, discuss some ideas. I do want to deal, though, with that issue we talked about last Please. time about the state response, Please. because you know what? I didn't have a good response, because I didn't know. When you said, look, if Russia bans, Brazil bans, India bans, what happens? I didn't really have in my head a good response. I did a poor job on that one. So I reached out to I don't, Robert. I don't, Pete, you know what's funny, my friend, just real quick? Mm. I don't think, you know, I don't think it's about having a good or poor, like, I mean, I'm a, I'm ecstatic now, and I'll, I'll I can't wait to give the floor here to Robert. And I'm excited to listen. I think I think we can all agree, it's going to be as much as we have strong hypotheses. Mm. You know, there's just so much. You know, I don't think, for example, the Donald Trump presidency is not something, and the and the pressures it put on ecosystems. It's very hard to predict that, even if the three of us were incredibly educated in 1992 on American history and geo, right? Like, yeah, you know, I, I think, what, what I think Bitcoin's doing, from my perspective, blockchain, Bitcoin, wherever you want to take Bitcoin, let's stay on Bitcoin, because I know when I say blockchain, people get antsy about that, <laughs> Bitcoin. I think it's putting pressure. And I think Robert's about to say some really bright things that are grounded in a ton of being in that space, and I'm excited about that. And, and what I'm excited about, though, not excited, that's not the right word, what I'm, genuinely curious about, and maybe the reason your son or people, I, I'm the one place I do feel strong about is humans. That's what I feel mm -hmm. good about, right? Yep. I think ultimately um, I'm more psychologist and anthropologist than I am much of anything else. And what I think is fascinating is when this puts pressure. Pressure, pressure is what's interesting to me. Pressure is what leads to war. Pressure is what leads to, you know, all sorts of things that, you know, make me curious. I'm not excited about that. I'm 
I'm curious, Robert, I'd love to. I'd love for you to pick that up where Peter was kind of transitioning. Let, let me just jump in quick. I also think the please, par- please. I think the parlor point's really interesting, actually, because whilst I am the the uh, uh, not a fan of Donald Trump in any way at all, I've been a huge critic of his. At the same time, the control that the tech elite have in San Francisco to silence and uh, people it does concern me. And essentially, we've seen a president cancelled, which is fascinating itself. So the, uh, we've obviously also seen Jack Dorsey talking about decentralization. So it is an important issue. But where do you want to start, Robert? Do you want to st- start about the state thing so we can tick that off? Yeah, um, great to connect, Gary. And thanks again for having me, Peter. Um, I think it's there's a reason we're all struggling to get our head around this. And that's because currency traditionally has always been the domain of government. It's not as if there were ever a truly free market option in the space for money throughout history. So to contemplate the ramifications of something like Bitcoin uh, really succeeding in the way that many of us talk about it, it's hard to imagine. There's no, there's no analogy for it. There's Mm -hmm. hardly any analogy. So to plug the book that a lot of these ideas come from, it's the best guidebook that I, that I've seen for what I think we're going into. And Peter and I are actually doing a show on this at the end of the month. Is this book, the sovereign individual? I talk about this book a lot, but it was written in 1997. It predicted social media. It predicted uh, the use of pandemics, actually, by governments to control borders. It predicted the emergence of anonymous digital cyber cash like Bitcoin, and it predicted a lot of other things. So at, to your point, Gary, money is the base layer, right? That is the mm-hmm. base layer of human organization. People, I think the common misconception is that government actually produces money but in fact it's money that produces government correct once we moved into the agricultural age and all of a sudden we had savings accumulated right whether it's grain in the storehouse or whatever it may be governments emerged as a protection service basically around those those store assets Uh and the sovereignty of the state that we respect and adhere to today it's really based on its control of money Right. If you look at what central banks hold, they hold a shitload of gold because gold was essentially selected on the market as money. And when and, and, doing, I'm sorry to interrupt, Robert, and yeah. their ability to control weapons. Yes. Right. Because I think, you know, this is not a place I feel incredibly comfortable speaking to, but meaning I don't have incredible understanding of military or things of that nature. However, Again, the simplicity of how I think about things allows me to like feel comfortable in saying like, you know, as we're playing out right now, right? Like this gets to scale and it becomes humans that carry extra weight as voices, right? You know, mm-hmm. you look at an Elon Musk putting out a tweet about Signal and what that means for that platform. Like, like the rise of the sovereign individual, you know, the power that a human has in a decentralized, in a, the internet's the middleman, nobody's a gatekeeper for me to mm-hmm. talking to 98 people. It's exceedingly powerful. Well, what happens to that individual that becomes a threat to that nation? You know, the weapons start to come into play. Right. Whether that's an FBI, whether that's a KGB, you know, like that's just history. That's just the way it's always worked. Yeah. And the, the, the main thrust of this book that I'm referring to is that 
actually encryption technology is changing the logic of violence. So by virtue of encryption tech making the cost of defense so much smaller, it actually decreases the returns to violence and changes the way we organize ourselves. So it's a really big idea and it's a lot to get our head around, but one, one analogy that's helpful. But real quick on that, Robert, because that's exciting. Yeah. I'm an enormous fan of one step backwards, three steps forward. Mm-hmm. Like, couldn't believe in it more. And I think the sentence you just said, I'm actually a believer of. Comma, are the people listening to this podcast right now, you and I and our friend Peter, are we just gonna be the men and women that are involved in the one step backwards for the three steps forward as this emerges? That's a big unknown. Uh, It's a huge unknown. No one knows how this shakes out and there's definitely gonna be counter measures and counter strokes. Um, The one analogy that I think is apt is actually the decline of the feudal age, which when when the printing press emerged, I think it was in the last decade of the, the 15th century, there were 10 million books produced. This was roughly equal to the total amount of books ever produced for the hundreds of years prior to that. So we had this exponential explosion in access to information, and this broke the the church's monopoly on information, essentially. So this had the consequence of creating more thinkers, making people more curious, more educated. And over time, the institution just basically became eroded by, by, by losing its monopoly. That's right. So what I think we're seeing, the similar allegory today would be encryption technology. Again, if we consider the purpose of the state is to preserve peace and protect property rights, we can now do that orders of magnitude more cheaply in digital space using encryption than we can, than is necessary um, in the government. So they, the state kicks, or, or whoever, not the state, Twitter and private enterprise kicks Trump off social media. Next week, 25 million users sign up for Telegram, right? Encrypted messaging app. So the, the act of censorship or the act of trying to suppress uh, encryption technology actually drives demand for it. And this was similar to what we saw the printing press. Church saw a bunch of books being printed. They lost their monopoly on, on um, knowledge. Mm-hmm. They tried to press down on it. It actually drove the prolifer- proliferation of the printing press. So it's creating demand for the very thing they're trying to stamp I couldn't agree more. The control of thought mm-hmm. is extremely different than the control of money and weapons. Agreed. Right? So I think you're absolutely right. And I'm like, you know, I'm head nodding in my head at scale right now. And, I, and what you're doing right now, and everybody who's listening, I think what Robert's doing right now is super important. I think history repeats itself continuously. I was an atrocious student, but was a, a borderline A student in history, and it was always this weird thing. Why did I get good grades in gym and history? And my mom and I used to joke about it, and as I, only in the last five to seven years as I've started to understand myself better in like my fascination of humans, I'm like, oh right, I needed that context and pattern recognition to be able to be good at predicting things, and it became foundational for me. I think you're making a great, great, uh, analogy, and it's actually why I believe in the thesis. What I keep coming back to is the in between, and yeah. and and the leverage points. You know, there. You know, the Pope, or you know, I'm a little undereducated on what you know religion looked like at the time. The moves that person had versus the moves that Putin 
or the American, like it just feels quite, quite, quite different. And I think that, to your point, I, I, I believe that humans will go in a certain direction. I, I actually think this story plays out, if I had a bet right now, if you're like, if Peter was like, Gary, no, predict it. I would say, yes, it ends up in the place that the Bitcoin people of today think it ends up. To me, it's a timing question and what mm-hmm. happens in between. Uh, for example, so much of what I bet on is that people underrate humans. I keep reminding people, even in these times, the world is so much better than it was a thousand years ago. Do you understand that in 1930, the kind of genocide that was going on in the world, there's genocide going on now, but like the scale and the, you know, so I'm a buyer of the intuitive nature of us as animals to collectively do right. And I actually think a lot of what we're talking about here gets us there. I just don't know if it's 400 years you know, I think a lot of people think, you know, let, let's call a spade a spade. I'm starting to read a lot of it. The self-interest in the promotion of Bitcoin is extraordinarily high. Mm. You know, when I break down, you know, what I'm doing now is looking at all the advocates and there's a trillion of them. And then this is what I do. I'm, I, I watch people. I look at them. You know, you go back to their post four and a half years ago, they're doing the same thing around something else. This, there, there is... There's two very distinct communities and, and the one that has by far the louder voice right now is the self-interest commerce aspect and, and so I think there's, it's a really interesting time for this brand. Yeah, I would, I would say to your point that actually betting on Bitcoin is betting on human ingenuity because fiat currency is something that's imposed from top down. Bitcoin is something that's voluntarily adopted. And I would push back and say there is clearly a lot of selfish interest in people adopting and evangelizing Bitcoin. But it's one of those few things. It's not only is it selfish, but it's also selfless. There's many of us that work in the space that are trying to educate people about the true nature of money. Uh, that's not necessarily in our own best interest. By the way, I, be- I, 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 be- I, believe, I believe there's a, an extraordinary amount of people that see the bigger picture here. Mm-hmm. I, I think of, let me give you an example. I think of it like fashion. I think most people buy very, very expensive clothes to flex to hide their insecurities. <laughs> but I feel there are plenty of people that genuinely enjoy the craft of the clothes. I think there are you know, millions, forget about tens of thousands of people that genuinely, to your point, Robert, are in it for uh, really a selfless kind of mental, kind of like evergreen kind, like a lot of good. I, I think that doesn't take away the fact that if you go into... Clubhouse, Twitter, forums, discords, there is a shocking amount of momentum of what the short-term commerce implications are. And by the way, I think that's great. I, I, no, I have no, let me, let me say something different. I think that's, I don't think it's great or not great. I just think it is. I, there is no judgment about that. It's an important variable. I also believe it's an important variable to understand because when selfishness tips over, it creates vulnerability for other things to emerge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Breed love. Let me, Rob. Let me throw one in. Do you think? Do you think us as Bitcoiners? What do you think of our blind spots? Because we evangelize, we promote this, we talk about this. There's a lot of people who don't understand it. A lot of people disagree with it. Do you think we've got blind spots? Yeah. Let me. I want to just put some math on that last point, just to to Gary's point about. People tend to collectively self-organize around the things that are best for them over time, right? So we would say that the 
the thesis of Bitcoin should play out in the long run, which I agree with. But to put some numbers to it, governments today, they enjoy a monopoly over money that they've become accustomed to depreciating at will. Um, Bitcoin, we can consider this as a money with 0% terminal inflation. So if you just put some math to this, very simple math, if you're paying $10,000 a year in annual tax payments, and you can instead save that money, and this could be taxation or inflation, same thing, you can reduce that payment and put it in a, ten, a savings account, compounding at 10% per year. That's a $4.4 million decision, $4.4 million decision over 40 years. If that amounts $100,000, it becomes a $44 million decision. So I think there's, there are massive incentives for people to adopt uninflatable money that sort of shove them into this monetary network over time. We know that government's going to increase taxes, they're going to increase inflation, that fiat currency requires more and more leverage to remain sustainable. This pushes people further out along the risk curve into, uh, into more volatile assets. Robert, let me ask you a question. Let's play out that all of that becomes unbelievable. Like, this is actually, I genuinely, I asked this, and again, Peter, I'm going off your energy. Like, to me, I I wasn't looking to, like, I was looking for an answer or a hypothesis or really for you to be a voice to give me a sense of what the community was talking about. So I'm pumped that Robert's here. Robert, okay, let's say everybody decides that, let's say it goes all the way. That there's very few, there's a 80% of people in society, 7.5 billion people. Let, let's inflate that to 8 billion people by the time we get to 80%. Just say, it's Bitcoin, it's not money. You know, what, what does happen to the nations in that scenario? Their revenues decline really rapid. Right, uh, what, what, like, I know, let me, I apologize. Yeah. That part I know, brother. Yeah. I'm talking about like, what's your intuition or what has been the conversation amongst the community or things that you've heard or your own personal opinion? Like, that becomes non-sustainable. Of course, so this sort of plays into Peter's question too. I think these are the blind spots because this is such an unknown, this type of event. The closest allegories we have are something like the fall of the Soviet Union where once it became... No, because it's not. Because it was within the structure of the rest of the world. You're talking about one little time. It's just not. Uh, um, As somebody who was born in the Soviet Union, somebody who really spends a lot of time thinking about this stuff, Mm -hmm. it's not because there was alternatives for those people. Their alternatives were... I mean, what I'm saying is the size of the state being shrunk economically caused it to fragment, right? We went from the USSR to what, 30 countries? Is that about correct? But you know, I I apologize, but I think we're talking about stubbing a toe versus dying of cancer. Like the Soviet Union falling and going back to the places it invaded, you know, 70 years earlier is just an extremely different conversation to your point. And I think you were making a great point earlier. We can't use things that we understand. Right. Like this is, you know, I think so much of what my life has been about and what I'm trying, as I'm gonna go through my journey here and get educated, what I'm extremely simple about that helps me a lot is you can't say that's the blind spot. You can't, you can, first of all, you can say anything you want. And by the way, by the time it hits scale, many of the people, this is where I get very fascinated. I believe subconsciously, not even consciously, that there's a lot of people in the community that believe by the time it gets to the place where China, Russia, America, or whatever else gets into this 
Jesus, lying in the sand moment of like complete carnage, reset, who the heck knows, Nirvana, wherever you wanna take it, that the people that are listening right now believe they won't be on earth. I really believe that. I believe that that's happening a little bit because because that's the part that the community, Peter, in my opinion, that I keep looking for like, and by the way, I'm sure there's people listening right now and be like, fuck, I wish I was on and I would tell Gary, you fucking, and that's great. Like, I'll be honest with you. I'm thrilled about that. I, for me, I have, to be, to be unbelievably on the record, I have zero emotion or financial ramifications of Bitcoin becoming what the dollar is in every part of the world or vice versa because I'm an adapter and a counterpuncher. I'm not overthinking about that. I'm actually, as a human, incredibly curious what the community that's been in it really thinks is gonna happen. Yeah, the only other deeper historical analogy I can think of would be actually the fall of Rome where their currency debasement led to um, led to their ultimate demise and fragmentation. The other thing there was the cost Robert, it was unable to be supported by the agricultural economy. Here, here's, here's my thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Rome, which really was actually and scary for American purposes right now, undermining elections um, or restricting. Um, the USSR, you know, just resource allocation to, a, you know, an arms race that, you know, communism, you know, is... Is beautiful, you know, Marxism is pretty on paper, but not real human. This goes back to the human question for me. But it's almost like the internet, right? The reason the internet has destroyed, I mean, think about what the internet has accomplished in disrupting so many norms. Literally, and let's just call the modern internet a 1990 phenomenon, but like, let's call it spade a spade. It really started kicking more in like 94, five, six, seven with America Online and other things of that nature around the world. I mean, to me, this is connecting everybody, right? The, the Soviets or the Romans versus the other people on earth. This is actually, and correct me if I'm wrong, men, this is saying, hey, we're all gonna be together on this and the enemy to all of us, in theory, if you play it out that basic, is every other sovereign nation. It's them against us. It's, it's breaking the entire board game. Yeah, it is. Um, I, would, I would actually argue too that Bitcoin itself is even more prolific than the, than the internet. We've had these distributed permissionless communication. I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm with you that on have, that. that I'm, 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 yeah. I'm arguing, I'm arguing the same. So Bitcoin would just be, you know, the, the value layer of the internet even more disruptive. But to your last point, yes, it destroys nationalism, right? I think we wake up, should Bitcoin succeed, we wake up from this, Nightmare of nationalism. Right, but, but for you. anybody, for right. anybody, I, I'm with you, Robert, for yeah. anybody to think that China, let's just stick there, because you just have to look at humans and infrastructure and the current state of the game. For anybody to think China's gonna lay down after all the work they've put in the last 50 years, right. the way that country's structured, the way it's completely bought South Africa, which is like set itself up for the next 50 years. Like for anybody to think that China, but you know what, let's not be unfair. Russia, <laughs> America, and you can plop in a whole lot of other people. For you to think they're gonna lay down. No, we don't think they're gonna lay down. We could game that out if you guys want. But I'll let I do, but I wanna game that out. Cause yeah. honestly, that's the only thing I wanna learn, to be frank. 
right? I'm like to me, sure. it's by far the most interesting conversation. Whether Bitcoin goes to 200,000 or 37, whether Ethereum for a different reason does X, Y, and Z, whether, you know, whether, why did Facebook's thing not fail? Will Germany put a trillion into its, you know, own currency? Like, like those things are cute. Those are cute. Playing out the game theory of no nationalism is one of the heaviest thoughts that I've ever allowed myself to think. And, I'm, and, and I think it's fascinating and I'm just genuinely curious how anybody thinks that happens peacefully. Next up, I talked to Gary and Robert more about why Bitcoin wins. But before that, I've got a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, Kraken. Come on, Kraken, the mighty Kraken, the very best place for buying and selling Bitcoin. And it's the only place I use for buying and selling Bitcoin. And you want to know why, right? You hear it every week, but I'm going to repeat it because they are consistently rated the best and most secure crypto exchange. And I tell you, security is really important to me because it is. They also have the best in class in customer service. So if you've got any issue, whatever it is, whoever you are, wherever you are, you reach out to them, they're going to get that fixed for you. And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, they have all the tools you could possibly need. Whatever your level of experience, at Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start trading Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile-first app. So if you want to trade Bitcoin on the go, you can use that. And with their margin trading, futures, and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Also, my good friends over at BlockFi, Zach and Flory, have been working with them for nearly, well, we're in our third year now. They're absolutely crushing it as ever. And they had a huge announcement before Christmas because they are launching a Bitcoin Rewards Visa credit card very, very soon. I cannot wait to get my hands on this. I want to stack sats with all my card purchases. Now, with their card, you will be able to earn a market-leading 1.5% rewards in Bitcoin on all card purchases pretty cool right now the waitlist registration is open for BlockFi clients so if you want to join it then you just need to open up a BlockFi account the public waitlist is due to open any day now if you're interested in checking BlockFi out i do recommend you do your own research then head over to blockfi.com which is b-l-o-c-k-f-i.com i had an interesting conversation I, i moderated a debate between a guy called nick carter who's another bitcoin guy and a detractor by the name of Francis Coppola. And Nick brought up something interesting, Breedlove, in that I have struggled with this idea that we have this breakdown of all the nation states and all live on a Bitcoin standard. I've struggled to see how that actually happens because I certainly think some countries are not going to allow the might of their military to fall. And they're certainly going to put up some fight. Um, I also think perhaps in some ways it's it's dangerous for certain countries to lose their military power say the u.s because they are somebody who can push back on china not that i agree with it not that i agree we should have these superpowers you know at war or 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 potential war i i struggle to see the idea of the state uh, uh the state ending but what i do see is a scenario potentially and you'll probably say no pete that's just step, step one but bitcoin just becomes a reserve currency for the individual or the company or a state who chooses it but it becomes an optional reserve currency, but we still have local sovereign currencies which are used as a medium of exchange. So the so Bitcoin is really just your kind of uh, um, it's just your kind of reserve asset, your savings account, but you will still have local sovereign currencies. I can see a scenario where that happens, and perhaps we sit in that scenario for quite some time. Now you might say that won't happen or a transitional phase, 
but but I've struggled with that. That like the end the bigger, game. The bigger, Peter, the bigger, Peter, the bigger, the bigger, yeah, the bigger question there is what's the incentive for the people that have the most leverage to allow Bitcoin to be that versus them standing up their own with the amount of leverage they have. This is what's so absolutely fascinating about this conversation for the people that I and I've been doing a ton of listening for a long time, but quite a bit for a year and now hyper bit for six months. The I don't think a lot of people in the community realize that they're speaking to only the end game of the elimination of nations. And when you start saying, to your point, Peter, and I love how you hedged it, you know the listeners on the underside in the community, when you just said what you said for two minutes, that's too half pregnant, that's unacceptable, and it comes along with too many things that don't make the promise of what it's supposed to be, be. And by the way, I think that's beautiful. Like, I don't think anything has to exist. Not the church, not America, not China, not Bitcoin. Like, 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 so I think it's incredible conversation. I just continue to have this incredible fascination with the thought that nations are gonna go away. Like I, I just really struggle with that. And now maybe this is two 500 years out too. And again, I think, I, Peter, what I think is happening is a lot of people are betting on this takes a long time. And I'm gonna make a lot of money for the next 50 years on this one currency, who gives a shit? I really just genuinely think that that's actually underneath a lot of combo, which by the way, awesome, like I don't know, like good, that's what humans do anyway, but I think the notion of of a borderless world, like I, I just, I can't see it. As a matter of fact, I think the timing's weird. I think it had a better chance, like I think the internet's timing was remarkable. Think about when the internet started hitting scale. It was in time of global peace, unseen for a long time. You just had the fall of the Soviet Union. America was kind of in this place of a Bill Clinton presidency, which was very centralist, right? If you think about where he sat as a Democrat. You just kind of had Eastern Europe completely taking, like it was this very interesting time that allowed the bigger energy. Today, I think if the internet drops today, it struggles to have the same things happen because of where Russia, China, and America sit today compared to 1995, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, And I think that that is one of the fascinating combos of this combo, which is incredibly interesting because I think Pete Roberts' point's incredibly right. I think so much of 37,000 and Telegram and Signal comes from this. I think he's exactly right. I actually think that's the point of like, you know, <laughs> But you know what, Gary, it's a good point you make, the timing of the internet, because I would say the timing of Bitcoin is actually perfect right now as well. Uh, and I'm very much interested in the idea that Bitcoin gives people uh, a life raft and perhaps can lead to a reduction in the size of the state, not so much the downfall. I think the downfall is too big a picture that I can't get my head around now. But if it restricts the state a little bit, if it draws the state back, if it brings back some freedoms and gives people a life raft, that like next step is what I'm interested in. O over to you, Robert. Robert, before yeah. you Robert, before you jump yeah. in, I apologize. Just gonna have a little entertainment value on this show. Uh, our friend Peter here just tweeted uh, a picture of us. I am looking at it because I'm I like to multitask in these things. I didn't realize that you were a male model, Robert. Jesus Christ, bro. he's a Some handsome model. Photos are uh, look at him, Peter. What the fuck, bro? Look at this dude. Look at dude. this one shot here, dude. He's ripped. I'm impressed, he's a handsome Robert. motherfucker. He's smart as shit. Every girl loves him. It's he must like be sitting on some Bitcoin. This guy's got some fucking leverage out here right now. He he doesn't need the Bitcoin. Anyway, I ahead, need Robert. it. I'm Sorry, a fat fucker. Have... <laughs> I need the Bitcoin. He doesn't. Come on. Go ahead, Robert. Thank you, Gary. Uh, I'm honored. 
Um, so to game it out, it's not like states and central banks are going to just decide that, oh, let's drop currency and we'll go to Bitcoin now because it's better for people. That will never happen, right? They, they want to hold on to this thing. However, what they're initially likely to do is to buy Bitcoin as an insurance policy against its own success. So, and there's a lot of other reasons, but we'll focus on that one. What I mean by that, if a board of central bank governors or any other sovereign entity is sitting around a table and they determine with 99% chance that Bitcoin will not work, right? Will not happen. So a 1% chance that Bitcoin does play out. Then mathematically, if we use today's Bitcoin price, approximately $40,000. It's post hyper Bitcoinization, which is, you know, Bitcoin eating everything is roughly $100 trillion. So we'd say that's $100 trillion divided by 20 million coins, roughly 5 million bucks. Unless a central bank or sovereign entity is more than 99.2% certain that Bitcoin has no chance of success, then their only prudent move is to invest at least 0.8% of their assets into Bitcoin as a perfect head against its success. Because if Bitcoin goes from 40K to 5 million, hyper-Bitcoinization price is 125X increase. So that would, that would justify a 0.8% allocation of their balance sheet. Now, every time, there's also huge incentives to adopt first, right? The central banks or governments that adopt first benefit at the expense of those later. This is a whole musical chairs thing. Every time one does adopt, this same calculus gets run by another one. So we've increased the market cap of Bitcoin. We've increased the likelihood of its success. We've now gone from 99% chance of no success to maybe 98%. So a central bank or government entity would increase the allocation slightly more. And it's this gradual step-by-step -step process, I think, that will force even government in entities into Bitcoin. And... That's Over time, not, yeah, the, the final conclusion, by the way, I know we keep yeah. saying like state, no state, but I don't think it's a binary outcome. The outcome is the state moves from a pure monopoly that's unaccountable to the preferences of citizens closer to a private enterprise over time as more and more capital is stored in this network and they cannot generate unilateral revenues through taxation and inflation. So I think the big move here is uh, making states competitive. And by making them competitive, they should shrink and they should become um, more attuned to the wants and needs of citizens. Robert, I, uh, in a lot of ways, doesn't that mean that Bitcoin plays out to just be a currency? Like, it, 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 you know, like if you, if you, you know, I think that you, I think you're making the argument for a lot of commerce-driven conversators in the community, which is great. Again, I'm going to say it again, like. You know, I, by nature, am an entrepreneur and a capitalist. I was born in the Soviet Union, like born in the U.S., grew up in the U.S. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think, I think what you just articulated is a hedge, which is amazing, and speaks to why Bitcoin could go from 37 to 5 million, which is fine by me too. But I think that the community as a whole is in a very funny spot because they speak to the bigger purpose, they demonize currency. But what's really happening is, in a lot of ways, the ambition is for it to actually be a currency that's just a lot more than it, what the money they put into it so that they can benefit from it. And there isn't this bigger conversation of what the promise or opportunity at a bigger philosophical and humanity state 
that, that's, that's what I take for when I listen to something like that. I'm not judging that. I think it's an interesting part of the conversation. I would draw the line between currency being the domain of government always, and I see Bitcoin as actually disrupting or dematerializing gold, which is the base layer of currency even. So I, I think they could actually coexist, and we may have this for a while. We may, we may have black market Bitcoin for some time that, that is, uh, can be exchanged across a number of jurisdictions, whereas uh, we have white market Bitcoin inside these state-walled gardens that you can only trade you know, on approved exchanges or use on approved purposes. Can, uh, can, I, can I ask you two a question? Because, Peter, yeah. this is really why mm-hmm. I wanted to be on your podcast, really to almost yep. do a reverse interview to what I'm you know, trying to extract some information. What is the common conversation in the ecosystem and take away the people that are so incentivized for Bitcoin that they're unable to see anything past that, which by the way, again, I don't judge, actually it's human nature, right? What is the current conversation in the ecosystem around the potential of other currencies gaining enough trust and brand recognition, infrastructure? Like how how many, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wildly aware that there have been many other attempts and you know, <laughs> you see them on Twitter, whether it's Dogecoin, I remember Lite back in the day, and Ethereum's a whole different kind of like ecosystem a little bit, but actually on a personal level, Peter Robert, do you think 14 years from today, is there another coin, another currency? It might not be at 130,000 like Bitcoin, it might be at 16,000, but it's at 0.01 cents right now, or not existing right now. What's your intuition and then comma, how much belief is there that that a lot of times when you think about currency, you're talking about brand and trust, right? If you really think about what's happening, people are just trusting Bitcoin, trusting, it's trust, trust. I understand the underlining tech that allows more trust, the transparency, the ledger, like, but then like, how much belief is there that there'll be others? And how much for the people that do think of this as business sense, is putting time and effort and building community around and thinking about this. Forget about pump and dump discords of Dogecoin. I'm talking like meaningful conversation of like, yeah, this is one, like the US dollar. Guess what? The the yen has money in it too and so does the ruble. And like, if we're gonna go this route, if we're gonna say that it doesn't take away nations because poof, that is heavy. Wars, every death, whatever. Is there a current conversation around the potential? And for the people that are looking at this strictly from a commerce lens, is there, worthwhileness to try to get very educated and spend you know 20% of your energy and time trying to be thoughtful of the emergence of another currency because it is a lot of fun to get in at f- five cents to something that gets to $31. Yeah. Thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Let me jump in first on this one, Robert, and then I'll let you add your one. I think there's, a especially within Bitcoin, um, and Robert may agree or disagree with me, but I think a lot of us feel like Bitcoin is our one shot. If this one fails, we can't see another one coming out that is uh, that far out of the reach of the state that that has, has managed to build up the network mm-hmm. effects to maintain decentralization to have enough security like this is our one shot but i also think i also think we've passed the point of being able to be shut down it can be legislated against sure but actually shutting it down i think we're beyond that point now now that can't happen um there will always be other currencies. Peter, we call them shit can coins. I ask you a question? I apologize because yeah, yeah. you gave me a thought. At what point of regulation, back to parlor, back to pipes, back to the internet being an important thing, like, you know, like, you know, I'm an early investor in Coinbase. You know, does Coinbase get knocked off the Apple store? You know, like, like just real stuff, like just a lot of fun fodder. Yeah. Like, 
at what point the you know reg, this regulation because that's you know this I think continues to be the theme that most excites me as someone who loves to think. Mm-hmm. Forget about commerce and money. As someone who loves to think, genuinely loves to think, this is what I keep going back to over and over and I'm like in love with it because it's so challenging, I guess is what I would say. Social was easy for me. Oh, we're gonna live on the internet. People like to talk to each other. That will always be true. You know, you know, this one's challenging. At what point does the regulation really change the promise or the macro conversation? Okay, just a couple of things. Let, let me put one more point before then. Please. Just for some perspective. I first bought Bitcoin when it was about $100. Got involved seriously when it was around $500 in uh, start of 17. I've spent more money on Bitcoin since it was $10,000 than it all the, the, basically in the last few months than the previous years. That comes down to conviction of what's happened in the last six months. That's just so a side, same. By the way, side by the way, little you might enjoy this. I've been yelling publicly for three years about sports cards. Yeah. And I've spent more money on sports cards in the last three months than I did in the last two, you know, or six months than the last two. Because to your point, when you start getting, that, that's just how everything works, by the way. But keep Conviction, going. yeah. So, conviction. Yeah, yeah. The conviction comes at, at the right time. Um, in response to your, like, uh, what was the other question? Oh, in terms of regulation. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When does regulation kind of. It's an interesting point because kind of what regulation? If there's an outright ban, for example, if I'll give the you an UK, example. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Peter. Let me let me yeah. play here a little because Robert brought up some good points, and I think I can ask my question a little bit. <laughs> when tax revenue starts to get affected aggressively, yeah, and a sovereign nation struggles to run itself for the five thousand people, like you know, that kind of control that you know, like the the thought of. The momentum of that, of actually regulating the internet companies that control the way we transact on it, you know, like like what what happens there? Well, think of it like this. Think of what's happening right now with the exodus from San Francisco. People are heading off to Wyoming, Texas, sometimes abroad. Right? People have realized they can live, work wherever I, they I, want. I, yeah, I think I think I think this continues to play in the game that, and I'm sorry to interrupt that yeah. Robert brought up of the Soviet Union, like America, yeah. like America doesn't give a fuck about California losing tax revenue to Texas. As a matter of fact, America's incentivized for having that. But people, what my, my point I'm trying to get to is like it's, it's the op- options that people have. So, for example, if the UK, not even an outright ban, say the UK stuck a 50% tax on Bitcoin, I most likely leave the UK. I'm incentivized to go and live somewhere like the Cayman Islands. But also what they do is if you're too, if you, if you have too heavy-handed... Uh, regulatory environment, you incentivize other places to have a lower, uh, uh, a lesser regulatory environment. Somewhere like, I mean, Estonia's great I, right let's now. Let's play. Let's play. Yeah. Let's play. Yes. Let's play. Malta. What happens when? Let's play. Let's play. What happens when Russia invades Estonia? Wow. I mean, no. Listen. I yeah, mean, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah. Look. I think. I think this really matters. Like, you leave where? I leave because Estonia. When you go to the Cape. Yeah, I get it. But when? What happens when America goes after the Cayman Islands? Like, I'm, I'm, I mean this because I think. I think the, and I don't think it's naivete, I think the part that I continue to struggle with is the thought of the big three and add the next 50 underneath them, the nations. That we, everyone keeps talking, these nations have been inherently against us. You're right. So why do you think when we build momentum against them that they're gonna be like, yeah, like, when, like everyone's like Estonia. I'm like, cool, when Russia invades Estonia, 
As a matter of fact, I would argue the more that Estonia's currency or you can sit with your Bitcoin there, the more incentivized the Soviet Union, like that Russia, Putin, has to go in there and oh by the, like, like I mean I think people are, I think people that live in the UK, the United States, tend to have a naivete of certain aspects. Like to me, it only incentivizes Putin. If I'm Putin and I'm acting the way Putin's been acting, I want everybody to go to Estonia and then invade it and then put you fucking Peter in jail and tell you to give me 80% of your Bitcoin. Like if that, like, like there's so much fascination to me on this. But Russia, you know, Gazprom has just started mining Bitcoin. Yeah, I get it. But I think like all, you, like fine. Like, you know, to me that is exactly what Robert's talking about. Like, I, I think that's right. And I think all of them can and will. I, I again think that goes to the argument of cool. I just think this is a good currency. Like this, forget about. I'm yeah, not yeah. going to talk anymore about. Well, it's a good investment. Know, people's right. That's right. I think this is where I get into the. This is why I like dinner conversations. Right. I'm with you, Peter. If it, but the community as a whole, and and to Robert's point earlier, you have a hundred people in a community, different fragmentations. But I think when challenged with the question of what sovereign nations are going to do about it, normally, and I've talked to. A lot of people at this point normally goes into more of a conversation of, but it's going to be worth three hundred thousand dollars a coin than the promise that normally comes out of the mouth of what this is going to mean for humans, why this is good for the world, like all the stuff that is on the facade, which is again incredible. I I, I really it's important to me because I want to make sure everybody understands my tone. I don't have judgment on somebody for being excited about buying something for thirty seven thousand. That's going to be five million. In fact. I understand it the most. It's been my chemicals my whole life. I'm a mm. buyer and sell. Like I, I love it. But I think that what I'm fascinated by is people try to take it to a different kind of intellectual conversation. And really, um, there is, I think the fascinating thing is the questions of like what happens in that environment. Mm. The mm. argument that Bitcoin's 37,000 on its way to 4 million is fine. That's like any conversation. But it could stop there than if Russia's mining it now, or like Robert said, they're gonna incorporate. To me, the bigger thing on that front is, if you really think about it, why give humans any leverage, back to what Robert said. Think about what Robert said perfectly, correctly. As this scales, it forces countries to do better by their citizens because they they lost leverage. Let's just talk about the simplicity of leverage. Mm -hmm. To me, I think what we're in the precipice of in the next half decade, as this continues to gain momentum, is those three or four entities saying, wait a minute, we have zero reason to let this have momentum. Let's pump our own infrastructure, create, incentivize a currency that we control, not as decentralized or has the momentum of big, like it is the enemy of the state. Breed Love, I'm gonna hand over to you, man. <laughs> yeah, I agree that it is, you can think of Bitcoin as kind of the irrepressible barometer of state action. Like it, it, the other way I describe Bitcoin is as an insurance policy against central banking. So the more dollars they print, the more valuable that contract becomes. And it's something they can't hide, right? The gold price, they own, you know, central banks own about 20% of its supply. So they've always been able to put downward pressure on it to keep their currencies relevant. But with Bitcoin, it's a different story. Um, and I think too, the other thing that, that's challenging here to our mental model is it's there's it's very easy to think in economic aggregates like, oh, what will China do or what will Russia do or what will the mm-hmm. US do? 
But we have to remember that these are loosely coupled networks of different agendas and interest groups and people. And that when top line revenues start to decline, the thing that keeps this whole economic aggregate cohesive, that it tends to fragment. So it, the uh, decision-making body itself goes from America, per se, to maybe it's more like Texas and California competing with one another. So I think that that's a bit challenging um, to our mental model. And as far as your earlier question about the difference between Bitcoin and play, play, play that, play that out, Robert, because I think you're... I think this is great stuff, and I think it's going to really help me to think, and everyone to think, and you mm-hmm. to think, right? So, you know, again, in that scenario, what do you think happens at a Washington D.C. level when there's actually the scale that you're talking? I mean, when you make that statement of Texas versus California, it's a, it's absolutely right. Theoretically, you know, you know what's so funny? It's the first time I thought of it. I think this is starting to get a little bit into Marxism for me as well. Like there's certain, and here's what I mean. I think you'll, uh, let me tell you where I'm going with that, Robert. I believe there are certain things that look so great on paper and thesis that don't become human truths. Mm-hmm. And sure. so like what you just said is exactly right, by the way. Like just like one day this will be watching 80 years and I'm like, damn, Robert, was like, that's right. He's such like fragmentation. The question though is fra- fragment, you know, Roman, Soviet, there was other places to go. What I'm fascinated by Bitcoin is it's omnipresent. Mm-hmm. It is, and, and so that it by nature suffocates the option. I mean, to me, <laughs> Russia, the UK, America, and China actually have an alliance on this conversation. You know? Yeah, I agree. There's, there's, there are incentives to collude, right? Perhaps between these superpowers to maintain uh, monetary authority. But if you look at, I think a quick study of history will prove that we've never seen uh, effective concerted action among antagonistic nation states, especially at the, at the superpower level. So I think that will actually, uh, that pressure to collude will lose, it will lose to the need Adopt yeah. Can I ask you a question? I can I can yeah. I ask you a question? Would you argue, or what would your point of view be on the fact that America and the Soviet Union both had the ability to press buttons and create World War III at a scale and carnage we've never mm-hmm. seen, and the fact from 1950 whatever to 1990 it didn't happen? Would you argue that potentially that is subconscious collusion? Uh, that's kind of like a game theoretic mm-hmm. still, right? Isn't it? To the point where yeah, but I actually think I actually think it plays out in this scenario. I think I actually think superpowers do collude, you know, in the macro game, just not the micro games. And I wonder if that rears its head. Do I wonder if there is a way to? Yeah, this is again. I'm like I come on this show um, hypothesizing. Yeah, yeah. These are for everybody. One more time. I do not believe I'm right. I really don't. I surely haven't done enough homework to really even begin to think. You know, I think I'm more right in so in human social media dynamics and other things. But, but I but I like hypothesizing, and you're making this is such a fun conversation, and and that's where my mind went take, when you said. Let's take the simple uh, mental map here. We know that fiat currency central banking requires steadily more uh, and steadily faster growth in the money supply to remain relevant, right? It's a debt-based system. You have to add more money to it at an increasing rate to keep it relevant. As that rate of money production increases, so do the incentives to adopt uninflatable money. I I absolutely believe that. So 
it's it's a almost a forcing function into Bitcoin. And then as you move into Bitcoin, it's accelerating that process again because we every time we buy Bitcoin, I, I'm I'm all we I'm sell all dollars. All we further yep. accelerated the inflation of the dollar and other fiat currencies. So the, I don't see how people don't end up here economically. I don't know what it shakes out afterwards, um, but it just. I think. By the way, yeah. good news, Robert. That proved out to be true. We don't. We're not even in predicting yeah. mode. Bitcoin's thirty-seven fucking yeah, thousand dollars right. a coin. Half a trillion dollars. Right. So, so I don't think that is even a conversation. And you made that point earlier in the podcast, and you're doing it again. And I think it has been proved. I don't even think we're hypothesizing. It has been proven to be these, true. After that's that's the yeah. big question. It's like, do we go back to a gold standard, or is this global digital non-state money we call Bitcoin a, a viable alternative? And, and I think the, the thing that's most fascinating to me is the community um, feeling comfortable in, I actually think what undermines the community is, is this. This is what, this conversation, let me explain. I think that people are coming into, I'm on Clubhouse, I'm on in forums, I'm in discords, I'm on Twitter, I'm reading, I'm talking to humans, I'm watching, right? What's happening with the community right now is I think it's potentially making its own self vulnerable. Let me explain. There is this higher nobility conversation that the Bitcoin community has that's so aggressive that I think when you play this out, needs to be careful because people are talking about the bigger thing and they're not having these kind of conversations that allow people on the other side, all the people here on the other side that come in by the droves every day is, the nobleness, the rationale, the part that you just explained, Robert, and it becomes incentivized kind of dollar behavior. And I think as they all go through their journey of thoughtfulness and have combos more like we've had here in two episodes, you don't want to lose that trust because then you, you, what you don't want to do is become the thing that you were fucking shitting mm-hmm. on. And I think between what governments are going to do from a regulation standpoint and what the community is doing it's kind of like network marketing, right? It's like the lifestyle, the lifestyle, the lifestyle. And then people come in at first, it feels good, and then later you kind of look up and be like, wait a minute, and I don't think it's the same, but I think there's a conversation to be had of how much responsibility is on the community that exists today, especially the people that have been anointed as thought leaders, to be a little more thoughtful about a complete conversation, which I think will create more trust, not the reverse. Right. Agreed. Yeah. I think Bitcoin's greatest vulnerability is somebody coming out with 21 million coins and having a thoughtful conversation on both sides, which will then gain momentum with human beings in a way that are a little bit more thoughtful and practical and not self-interest oriented. Everyone's self-interest oriented. And by the way, so everybody hears, I don't say that, what I just said, I don't say lightly. There's so much infrastructure, so much network effects. The years that Bitcoin's been, I, I get it. What I'm saying is, don't underestimate trust being lost as an incredible you know what, vulnerability. You know what, Robert, it's, it's actually, I just want to say, it's, it's, it's a good point in some ways because, I mean, I'm a big hypocrite for this, from, from, from jumping on the memes and, uh, you know, uh, laughing at people who uh, don't like Bitcoin. And the, the other thing is, as the price gets higher, you know, when we head into, say, six figures, if, and when we get, I believe it's an if, I think it's going to get worse, actually. I think we'll mean more, and the people who didn't get in will be more distrustful of it and a bit more salty that they didn't. And there is a potential that that it feels like 
it feels too far away for some people to get in. I think I think uh, Gary's making fair points there. Yeah, I would just add that it sort of gets back to the difference between Bitcoin and alternative coins. The thing that makes Bitcoin so special is that it has proven itself immune to human opinion and politics. Right? It's fought these civil wars. It's achieved this level of network effects, liquidity, decentralization. 21 million, as I've said before, it's like we had two certainties in life. We have death and taxes. We've introduced the third certainty. It's 21 million Bitcoin. And it changes the entire game of, of being a human on Earth. I, Robert, I think, I think Bitcoin's next... Uh, I, I, think, I think there's some real validity to that. I would also caution everybody in understanding that 10 years in the scheme of human behavior is awfully, awfully, oh, yeah. awfully small. And again, one more time, I'm gonna say it again. I have zero interest in thinking Bitcoin is not in perpetuity. I also have zero interest in thinking Bitcoin's in perpetuity. I think this is an incredible time to think and learn and, and, and evaluate. And I think, Peter, your point is so well taken. People that bought Bitcoin at 500 bucks or $80 or even 3,000 and, and ha- that 21 million fragmentation holdings has, is subconsciously and consciously affected by believing it's in perpetuity. And I do think, Peter, as it continues to explode and if it explodes quickly the way it is, you have a quick hyper overreaction in the other direction for it to not. And I think that is you know, a, a really interesting conversation. But Robert, I agree with you. I mean, the, the brilliance in how it was structured, the mining ecosystem, the, I, I do not underestimate what 10 years is. There was plenty of things that came along in the 2015, 16, 17, because I was paying attention more there, that tried to be the next current. Like, I'm with you, and I think the community should have a lot of conviction. I just think that we have not had the real wars yet of this, because when you play the chess out of what this actually, actually, actually means, I do think it gets into Cuban Missile, I'll tell you what I think is the wars. I think the Cuban Missile Crisis was the collusion, Robert. Mm Like, like, do you know what I mean? Like those brinks of like, and I, and I don't know when or if or what world events, but as someone who just loves life and like loves learning and seeing different things, boy, that's going to be a scary and interesting moment if I happen to see it in my lifetime when we get to that blink moment between let's say one of these superpowers or how about even the scenario we touched on, the four superpowers together versus the eight billion. Yeah. Like, it's just a yeah. fascinating conversation. I would just say that those modes of extortion in the past, I don't think they hold as much relevance in Bitcoin. And then the, the, the last point is that, so Bitcoin's apolitical money, it's more like the internet. All other coins have political attack vectors. They have creators, they have issuers that can be manipulated, they can be extorted, et cetera, et cetera. And Bitcoin too, the, the point I'd push back on you, Gary, is that I don't think it can be disrupted by an alternative coin because it's, first of all, it's perfected all the properties of money. And then second of all, it can absorb features from competitive crypto assets. So it's kind of like competitive crypto assets are the test net for Bitcoin in a way. And then, I don't think enough, I don't think, Robert, I don't think enough, I think those are all right. I think that we continue, and this has been always what's happened with technology in the last 30 years, we underestimate the human element. Mm-hmm. I do not believe enough people have interest in Bitcoin at this point, and the narrative is so hot that if it doesn't land in the next decade to be in enough people's hands, 
there is absolutely enough momentum with enough human beings to create conversations of alternative right. things. You know, I, I, then, I don't just let I, me throw in Rob did, uh, and, and Gary. Does it actually matter if people option out? Like, as long as there is an op- as long as it's there as an option in for people. It, 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 it does, Peter. It does not matter. It does not matter for Bitcoin to go from thirty-seven to four hundred eighty thousand. Because sure what happens it. is you have an option in whether you're in Lebanon, Correct. Argentina, a speculator. Robert, Peter, yeah. Peter, do you know how many people? Peter, do you know how many people care about owning a Michael Jordan rookie card? Almost nobody. It's two hundred thirty-six thousand yeah. dollars. Guys, so, I read this one line. Yeah, go ahead, this is one line from sovereign individual that I think speaks to this perfectly. Market forces, not political majorities, will compel societies to reconfigure themselves in ways that public opinion will neither comprehend nor welcome. As they do, the naive view that history is what people wish it to be will prove wildly misleading. This is like an economic, fundamental technological change that I don't think politics can sway. So even if a big majority of people said, hey, we don't want Bitcoin anymore, we're going to try to go another direction, the incentives of Bitcoin still force itself upon them. So it's it's like a, I I the by the way, way Robert I'm actually you can, you'll you'll appreciate this I couldn't believe in it more. My question is: Does China blow up the world? Yeah, well, like like Robert, like it's a really serious, fair question, uh, right? Like everything you just said is right, in my opinion. I could be a hundred percent wrong, comma, okay. Like you're talking about the yeah. whole game. We're not talking about what Peter just said before. That sentence is the whole game. Peter's sentence, which is absolutely true, is, yeah. By the way, there can be three coins that are like Bitcoin, like real fucking serious in 40 years, and that doesn't affect Bitcoin from 37,000 to 1.7 million instead of 5 million, right? Like, like that's, that's fine, but like I think the point you're making is the one I'm actually, tr- I'm trying to actually spend my time on the point that you're making. Uh, you know, I'm clearly gonna go out and get that book, and I'm probably gonna head nod the whole time because my intuition, which has served me extremely well around human conditioning and things of that nature, is going to shake its head. I, 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 that's the first time I've heard that. I couldn't believe it more. There's another book, though. Comma. If you're going to read that one, you need, there's a, uh, you need to have the fourth turning as well. I need to, uh, listen, I always love that shit, so I will Just do that. Thank you, Peter. I, I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, that sentence, Robert, has me so invigorated out of curiosity, you can't imagine. Because if that is true... There's 0.0 of me that doesn't seem extreme carnage and pain to get there. Yeah, transitions are scary, and that's why I'm. I, I no, 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 no. Transitions are always ugly. Yeah, always. And the best thing you can do in the situation is optimize for optionality, right? So you need things like Bitcoin. You need multiple passports. Hey, Robert. Mm-hmm. Hey, Robert. Peter. If you play out what we're talking about right now, history and human conditioning can speak to a really fascinating conversation where the humans that sit with the most Bitcoin in the moments that we're talking about in the future are actually incredibly in vulnerable spots. Hence why many have already even subconsciously or consciously realized that and have stayed Mm -hmm. quite private. You know, you would think the people with the most holdings of such in the day of reckoning of nations versus humans are the ones that get slaughtered and it's actually the people behind them, right? It's always like, don't be the first, whatever, be the second, what, you know, rats and cheese, whatever, you know, like, like I, you know, talk about something very dark that's not fun to talk about, but I, but again, I'm getting, 
this is what's so, this is why I'm so grateful, Peter, for the invite. Like the, this is what I used to do in private rooms with friends. I've never really been in a podcast format where I'm ideating, hypothesizing, asking, curious, learning. This is so fun. By the way, I think more podcasts should be like this. By the way, I think this is why Clubhouse Mm -hmm. has the moment right now. If this is what's happening in those worlds, nonetheless, one could argue that if you think, if you play the chess moves out, that the people that are sitting with the biggest holdings in the world become incredibly vulnerable as the people that are most vulnerable to that initial ugliness before what you just said plays out behind They also, they also become powerful, thoughts. incredibly powerful. Mm. Well, that's right, which then leads into different dynamics because money's not the only thing. So now to your point, you know, we're seeing it now with, with personal brands, right? But if, you know, to your point, if somebody's sitting with an incredible amount of Bitcoin and is a Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Gandhi-like communicator, right? More me than, let's say, a lot of people that know a lot about social, but they're just quiet in their writings, you know? And like, uh, you know, what does that mean? And by the way, there's a reason Elvis and John Lennon were on the FBI's, you know, I remind people, Elvis was heavily paid attention to by the FBI. Elvis. Right, and why? Because when popularity, when leverage of attention gets to a place, it becomes dangerous. I mean, does anybody not think that America, China, and Russia right now have a list of the human beings that are sitting with the most Bitcoin? It's impossible, to the best of their abilities, right? You know, fascinating conversation. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Mm. I, I guess that's the part that I'm most, like, I think, you know, I can, you know, I think I like humanity and kindness and good so much that I'm almost like, oh, maybe the reason I'm so passionate about this is I feel like through my auditing the last four years, heavily the last year, aggressively the last six months, I think if we had more combos like this, it would actually protect people, not the other way around. Agreed completely. And then I would say, too, that realization, Gary, you just went through, people will increasingly have that and they decide which side of history they want to be on. It's like you, you, you need right, optionality going into uh, uncertainty and Bitcoin affords you some of the greatest optionality in the world. So again, it's another one of these forcing functions where I love the thing Taylor said, he was quoting Trotsky. He said, you may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. Well, I think the same is true for yeah, Bitcoin. Exactly. You may not be interested in Bitcoin, but yeah. Bitcoin is interested in you. Yeah, I think that's right, brother. Man, real quick before I bounce. What about all the other stuff? Ethereum, other currencies, other conversations? Like, wh- why does it feel so combative? Like the micro communities with each other. It's because it's about money. When it's about money, yeah. people become combative. Yeah. Um, the reality is, look, uh, most of them are d- doomed to failure. I think if, we, if we're in 10 years' time, whilst I'm not a fan, I think Ethereum probably still exists in one way or another. People are still doing experiments and mucking around with it. I've got no interest in it. I think uh, I'm I'm Bitcoin only. But the majority of it, ninety percent, ninety nine percent, is just garbage. Uh, Breed, love you. I think all human belief systems have uh, an immune system like response. You know, and any time you adhere to an ideology, you're resistant to yeah. others. So, I think that's the great vulnerability. For example, Peter just talking. I started laughing in my head, kindly of he's just talking the same thing that people talked about that sat on money about Bitcoin. The thing about Bitcoin though is it's an ideology centered on mathematics, truth, transparency, thermodynamics. 
I totally understand. So, I, to- I, I couldn't understand no. more, Robert. Once the, you know, the gold standard, right? Once it went away from that, Nick said, right. I get it. It, you know, it also doesn't mean it can't go back. It also doesn't mean all the other stuff. Like, but I get it. And by the way, and then there goes into what probably will happen, which is an incredible level of coexisting for such a long period of time that everybody who's listening right now who's alive, forget about the future, which is kind of cool. Could you imagine listening to a podcast right now of people talking about the first actual paper currency? (laughs) Let's just talk about that for a minute. Talk about things that people don't think about. Could you imagine if you woke up this morning, got interested in money for the first time in your life and pulled up a podcast from 1403, 609, like whatever, you know, like, you know, I'm not educated enough on those years, but like, how cool is that this conversation, hopefully, you know, in case there, if there's no destruction, is something people listen to in 400 years and are just making fun of the three of us of like, oh, those guys had no, cl-, you know, whatever it is, or like, holy shit, Kipley Peter knew that 400 years. Actually, I actually think cool. that gets into what I was trading tweets with Elon the other day, which is super cool for me, but I tweeted to him, I said, Money is simply a tool for moving value across space and time. Gold was great for moving value across time, but not space. Paper currency is great for moving value across space, but not time. Only Bitcoin is optimized for moving value across both space and time. So one of those podcasts you're referring to in 609 or whatever, talking about the introduction of paper currency, the guys have been like, oh, this is super cool. We can move our gold around the world much more easily now. Um, but it's these technological innovations that really drive society, right? The move to paper currency it's, is it's, what enabled the nation state that we live in today. It's, but to me, what's so interesting is that collective humanity decides. Yes. Fuck, fuck gold. Fuck Bitcoin. Why can't it be tulips? Well, the market decides, though. Correct. The market is yeah, humans. and the market selects for the credibility of monetary properties. So tulips tool, don't have the properties. So people correct. that use it, lose. But to, to, <laughs> correct. So what, what's interesting to me on that is the trigger points that actually get trust at scale. Hence the thematic that I think I've spoken about here for an hour and 11 minutes, which is the roundness of the conversation and the taking a step back from blind conviction that the community has right now is likely going to be the thing that gives it its best chance. And if it keeps going the way it's been going, in my opinion, for a long enough period of time, that creates the opportunity for something else, even though BTC has such an advantage. Yeah, I think as a guy that likes to think you're gonna love the Bitcoin rabbit hole, you haven't really been down it yet. There's guys like Nick Zabo. Um, you know, they actually describe this as trust minimization. We don't need to trust one another yep. by using Bitcoin. We trust the math, essentially. I, yeah, by the way, that's exa- by the way, that is something many of like my most thoughtful friends who've gone down mm-hmm. the rabbit hole for a longer yeah. period of time. Like you know, that's the beauty of having smart, nice friends. You get sped up on things. I get that it's very much. It's a game much. with fair and unbreakable rules, and people will always voluntarily adopt that game. With within with within, and my point is no doubt about it. Within it, yeah. And then becomes humans. Correct. Right? So like one human, the leader of China at one moment is an interesting variable. John F. Kennedy Jr. and Khrushchev, luckily for a lot of us in my opinion, were the two humans in play. I'm curious what happens if Putin and Trump were the two humans at play at that moment. 
Like just how life works. Like there's many people that would be alive still if the other human wasn't a killer that was in their apartment at that moment. Like there's such fascination of mine on the human element of everything that I think what ends up happening with technologists and and things that are based in things like math is a lot of the human truths get commoditized and we don't have thoughtful enough conversations. I really believe that. Because the thesis is right. But there's been a lot of theses that were truly right that have not played out. You know, I see it every day. I mean, to, to go to a much more silly thing, we have people coming into marketing for the last 20 years all the time on technology that are math-based and they're fascinated by why it didn't work out because art is part of the equation. No. <laughs> you know, Bitcoin is so much more art than people realize and, uh, and that is still being shaped. The math is ironclad, yeah. Robert. The art is still in its infancy, and I'm fascinated Agreed. by that. And I would just say that as far as a thesis being expressed in the marketplace, there's never been one expressed more loudly and more clearly than Bitcoin. I mean, I think it's, that's the reason. All these things we're talking about. Well, I think, I think gold. Go, I, think, I think to the reason everyone tries to attach it to gold is Gold clearly pulled it off. I'm not educated on how. Gold but it has did. the greatest, longest story, but Bitcoin has the fastest growing, most. Um, well, that's that's because there's something called the internet. The story, exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's called the internet. The speed in which yeah. that's right. So, uh, I'm with you, brother. Like all, like you know, Instagram did a hell of a lot quicker to yeah. its 10 million, you know, million than the telephone yeah. did. It's the speed of the internet, no doubt about that. And that is why I remind everybody, and this is a great. Great way to, from my opinion, of like wrapping up the incredibleness of this conversation. I remind everybody that the internet is controlled. And that becomes, to me, the biggest thing that would give me confidence um, is if the sovereign nations didn't control the emerging internet too while Bitcoin was happening. And I think that is a fascinating conversation, maybe for a part three, Peter, one day. Yeah, in a give year. it a year, man. Give because, you a break on this, and we'll come know, back to this. Bitcoin has something Robert, to say I couldn't, about I that too. Please. So you're absolutely right, um, and I think we'll see new internet infrastructure on top of. I agree. Bitcoin. I I I actually kudos, my friend. I think that's right. To me, that's where my chessboard goes, right? Which is like, huh? This is going to force internet too, yeah. because everyone's going to realize it's so easy to control Bitcoin and sovereign nations because the internet is controlled by the nations and that is a requirement. And I think that is going to be fascinating. Gary, look, appreciate your time again. I will uh, I will revisit you, this in a year. Uh, thanks to Robert. Robert's uh, it's Robert, pretty late where he is, like one in the morning. So I appreciate you staying up, brother. Um, look, I think people are going to love this. I think this was uh, like much better than the last one. Uh, have a great weekend, guys. Stay in touch and uh, anything either of you need, reach out. Thanks, Cheers. Thanks, Peter. All right. What did you think of that? It's pretty badass, right? Pretty cool to get Gary and Breedlove on together. I think bringing Breedlove into the conversation really helped. He's really good at breaking down this transition to hyper-Bitcoinization. And I think he probably convinced Gary a little bit more than maybe the last show. I think there's some work to be done. I would definitely be getting Gary back on in a year and seeing where we're at with that. But I think this also was a much more productive episode than the last one. I mean, it's a little bit hard to steer the conversation at times because you can see Gary's brain thinking and he wants to jump in with questions. You know, he is very successful 
successful. So I understand why he works like that. But I think this was a much better one than last time. So anyway, look, massive thanks to Gary for coming back on the show. I know he's busy. Also, Breed Love, love you, dude. Thanks for coming on and helping me with this one. You got any questions? You know you can reach out to me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Do reply to everyone as long as you don't send me any weird shit. Outside of that, if you want to support the show, iTunes reviews help. Take about two minutes to do. Leave me a five-star review if you love the show. Leave me a one-star review if you think it's shit. But obviously, we can't be friends, and I won't send you a Christmas card next year. Outside of that, I've got an amazing show coming out on Defiance on Thursday. Defiance.news. Make sure you go and check that out, looking at regulatory arbitrage and how people have got kind of more choice about where they want to live right now, spurred on by what's happened with COVID and lockdowns. Anyway, that's Defiance.news. Outside of that, have a great week, and I'll see you all on Friday.